0: The views and opinions expressed by the guests on this podcast are that of their own. In no way, shape, or form do they reflect the official policy or position of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack.
1: You've descended into the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack, a commercial diving podcast by working divers for divers. Pressure Junkies makes some badass suits. Go to PressureJunkies.com. That's PressureJunkies with a Z.com. What's so different about these wetsuits? Pressure Junkies wetsuits are commercial diving suits for the working diver. And they're not going to break your bank. Suits are affordable. They last long. And they're just like us. They work hard. So go to PressureJunkies.com. That's PressureJunkies.com. All right, we got uh, another episode of the Bomb Dollars Dive Shack. Uh it's kind of an update slash uh, interview episode with uh Phil Newsome of ADCI. Really excited about uh about this episode. Very cool, very cool. We have a uh, Johnny here as a co-host as well. So we're gonna get into it with a uh, with Phil. So Phil Newsom for you guys that aren't divers, he uh he's the executive director for ADCI, which is our main uh, dive agency here in the United States. So other areas, you know, throughout the uh, world, they have a uh, different uh, agencies, you know, they have IMCA Canadians have DCBC. And uh, I think the Europeans have a, uh, like HSC somewhere on there. And, uh, ADCI is, uh, yeah. here for the U.S. I mean, it's also international too. It's ADCI international. So let me, uh, hopefully I don't kick him out here. where do you go? There he is all right hey phil how's it going
2: good good all right right on
1: right on welcome to the bottom dollars dive shack uh i'm your host lb diver name's armando uh gonzalez and johnny
2: how you doing sir port town diver huh yes sir (laughs) all right all right all
3: right and i see we've got somebody else on here too freddie g
1: Yeah. So he's our audio engineer. He'll be recording this episode and uh, he's done a great job with the bottom door's dive shack. The episodes, uh, I'm really blessed and grateful to have, uh, have him helping us out. He's my uh, brother as well. And, uh, you know, he's a great, uh, great audio engineer, you know, good, good dude. Okay. to
2: the
3: team. Armando, you're in SoCal. So where, where is Port Town Diver at? Uh, SoCal as well in Long Beach, California. All right. Okay. So both of you guys are SoCal. All right. Yeah, well, I'm yep. from, I'm from Santa Barbara. So, um, happy to nice. spend, happy to spend some time with you guys. I don't know if you're SoCal natives or not, or you just are transplants, but, uh, that that's, that's, that's home for me, man.
1: Right on. Yeah, definitely. We're both SoCal natives. Uh, Johnny and I work together yep. at the, uh, at the port of Long Beach. You might know our boss as well. Lamar Howard.
3: (laughs) I know Lamar. I know Lamar very well. Right on. That's that. That's good. Well, it's a small world anyway. It's a small fraternity, so I'm not surprised.
1: It sure is. You know, it's a special fraternity too. And um, ADCI—that's the uh, main agency that uh, that supports divers and uh, licenses divers and. You know, we wanted to have you on for the longest, and I'm glad we were able to finally finally get you on. Right so enough. we we kind of wanted to get started, Phil, with the... Can, can I call you, Phil? Or do you prefer Mr. Yeah, Reese's? and I
3: also noticed... Uh, no, I also noticed you got pressure junkies on. Do you know... Um, so, they... Just before we jump into this, I'm also uh, the commander for um, the for the guard here in Texas. And so our boat and dives unit, I'm the commander for all of the Houston and Galveston region. And for all of dives throughout the state of Texas, from a guard standpoint, we have made pressure junkies, the official uh, wetsuit and gloves and hoodies that Everyone in the unit has to have. So that's cool that you guys have that. That's
1: That's amazing because pressure junkies has been a great sponsor for us from day one. And uh, we're proud to support them as well. Their suits uh, feel great, fit great. And uh, I really like the layout of uh, the suits and Trevor is an amazing dude. And Trevor uh,
3: is awesome. And and you're right. That suit is the most field friendly suit that I've ever owned. Everything's zipping in from the front. It's the way to go and the, the two piece that i have it's the best suit that i have and i've got plenty of them but that's the one that's my go-to
1: nice and i'm glad that he was able to come on to our show that way the listeners were able to meet him um it goes a long way to be able to know who you're uh, you're buying your equipment from who you're buying your suits from and who you're doing business with and that's again that's one of the other reasons why i wanted to have you on because uh it's really important for the divers out there in the field to know, you know, who's got their back. And uh, Phil, I'm glad to glad to have you on. So to get started, what a uh, what is ADCI for the general layperson? So the Association
3: of Diving Contractors International is a trade association. Essentially, it's a trade association, but it really goes a lot farther than that. Um, ADCI is pretty much the go between, uh, for contractors and associate member schools and the regulators that are out there. So, you know, OSHA, as well as, um, the coast guard and, you know, um, and, uh, and, and really anything else, whether it's the Army Corps of Engineers or, or anyone else that serves in that capacity, but also for end users as well, because, you know, we deal with obviously the the super majors, but we, we also deal with the mid-majors. We also deal with, on an international level, um, Really all of the other maritime authorities for the different countries that are out there and be about 41 different countries that the association is, is involved with. In case in point, uh, next month, I'm going to be going to Panama to sit down with the Panamanian maritime authorities to develop, uh, you know, some some diving standards, which they have never had as a country. And, of course, they had a ship's husbandry accident in uh, late 2018. And the government basically said, hey, you know what? Sit down with us. Help us come up with some guidelines for commercial diving. Uh, And it, it probably will lean to either having something that is very close to what's already in the consensus standards, or they'll just adopt what's in the consensus standards altogether. You know, it's kind of up to them because they don't want to necessarily adopt something that the majority of their contractors can't adhere to. So there's, there's some realities there from an international standpoint that we may put some guidelines out there. IMCA may put some guidelines that are out there but certain flag states and and countries may say, you know, we can't do that. We want you to do this instead. And so, you know, we have to defer to them, but that's, that's pretty much what, what we do as well as, um, you know, outside of putting out the guidelines, issuing the certifications and, uh, and, and just really trying to stay ahead of anything and everything that speaks to safe diving operations commercially.
1: Right. And it's kind of a shame that sometimes regulations don't change until there has been an accident usually involving a fatality. Um and that's part of the reason why we wanted to have you on today as well to see if uh ADCI does have a statement regarding the uh the recent fatality that occurred in uh Kentucky where a 19-year-old uh Jackson Lee Wood lost his life in an industry accident
3: yeah and 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 we do obviously it's unfortunate um you know condolences to both uh, the diver's family and friends, as well as as to the contractor. I mean, no one woke up that Wednesday uh, wanting things to end the way that they did. And I don't care what anyone says about any contractor, you know, even the ones that say operate below the waterline, none of them come into this with wanting to kill a diver. You know, most of the time, Obviously, there are two things that lead to fatalities: ignorance and greed, or a combination of the both. And in this case, you know, I I I would really like to think that um, it pretty much lent itself to ignorance. And and a lot of times, it isn't necessarily ignorance on the part of the contractor; it's the facility them itself. Because in some instances, those blueprints can be 50 60 plus years old and there's been no survey done subsequent to that to the ori- original survey and in one of the instances so we've had five fatalities in 25 months that are dp related inshore within the US that's a lot that, that is a lot and and that is a concern and that's the reason why OSHA reached out to us to say hey What is it that we need to do to create a greater awareness with the end users? Because it's got to start with the money. I mean, we can target these contractors, whether they're operating consciously operating below the waterline or not. Um, But in the end, the contractors are going to have to adhere to whatever it is that the the, the end users, the client says. We can get to the client like we've really done a very good job of in the oil and gas industry, especially offshore. But if we can do the same thing with the hydroelectric and nuclear power plant facility operators and just let them know what the equipment and what the, um, you know, operational, uh, what it needs to look like from a contractor standpoint, you know, before you hire anyone, this is the equipment that they need to have. This is what their safe practices and operations manual needs to look like. And this is what the certifications and qualifications and experience needs to look like for the folks that are performing the work. And what we're seeing is, is that there's a huge gap in that outside of the folks that have say, um, you know, and I'll use the one ADCI member out of the four fatalities that we've had. So we, we had a member that had a fatality here, and this would be about a year ago. And um, the root cause was Basically, the blueprints did not have this um, intake listed at all. And so they dove this facility for 20 plus years, not this particular area that obviously the diver goes in. Um, he's, you know, com- totally ignorami in terms of this particular intake because it's not listed in the blueprints. And now we have the fatality. Is that on the contractor? I'm here to say no. But what's the lessons learned? Well, you might want to start thinking about going ahead and deploying an ROV anywhere in the area in which the diver has to go. If you're looking at Blackwater, okay, fine. Then go ahead and deploy a sonar. Because we have some uh, contractors back east. That are now doing work in blackwater environments, same type of bread and butter work, but they're going ahead and they're, uh, you know, they're renting out and leasing a third party to go or bringing in a third party to go ahead and, you know, employ sonar in there so they can see exactly where the diver is in relation to any hazards, known or unknown, because had they done that they would have been able to see, Hey, what's that over there? And you know, these are, these are just a couple of things that, um, hard lessons learned that we picked up over the course of these five fatalities that we've had.
1: In the well, last thank you for uh, offering your uh, condolences, uh, to the, uh, to the family and the diver that did lose his life and uh also uh the fact that AD, that adci is working with uh, osha that they have reached out and and hopefully you know we, we can make some positive changes after this uh this uh, tragic incident that uh that occurred you know in oklahoma um like i said yeah. before it's unfortunate that you know accidents uh, do change the way that uh, certain facilities or companies operate and i'm really hoping that uh a lot of the uh, power plant plants do adopt some kind of standards that they uh, operate by when related to underwater work. Um, I think that's huge. I worked in several power plants where, you know, they were kind of relying on the contractor, the one scuba diver guy and puts him in charge of overseeing the, uh, the dive, you know, plan or whatever, you know?
3: Well, so, so let me say this and just, just for the folks that are going to kind of tune in, You know, this is one of the things, one of the reasons why ADCI and IMCA formed this MOU and and partnership is because, you know, it's a shrinking industry. And what is experienced here in the U.S. and what's experienced outside of the U.S., it's the same. And there's no point And us trying to go ahead and push out the same message, but being very adamant that it's coming from us versus them or vice versa, we want to lose all of that. We want one message coming out from just industry, whether it's IMCA or ADCI, one in which if they gave it, we endorse it. If we gave it, they endorse it. Um, because I think that that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is is that you know there is safety is not proprietary, and and I think finally both associations have realized that, and so what we're going to see probably are a lot more concerted efforts when we start seeing like an uptick in these type of fatalities all of our industry meetings are going to be focused on that if it's lift bags and we see an uptake in that we address that obviously we had a huge uptake in ships husbandry fatalities we had a focus on that so whatever comes up we're going to be on it um unfortunately it's pro- it you know it's a reactionary thing as opposed to being a proactive thing but Whatever the case is, it's what what's important is that folks are recognizing the problem and now going ahead and doing everything they can to address it, whether and and it's usually from an education standpoint.
1: Right. You know, and uh, boy, I tell you, you know, me and a lot of the other divers wish we can grab some of these, you know, these these people in power and these guys, you know, that are, you know, lax and writing these regulations, because it's like, we got guys that are dying out here, you know, things need to change. And, uh, we're just losing too many people. Um, the thing that I'm going to be beating on the drum now, after hearing some details about the incident that happened is that, uh, we need physical locks on these pumps. You know, I'm not sure For what much. happened there at the plant, but, um, you know, this is secondhand information that I'm hearing. It's, uh, it's a zip tie and tag system. And these are pumps that are huge, you know, and uh, like I said, I can't confirm, you know, if that's true or not, but I tell you what, we need physical locks on these uh, switches and, you know, tags and somebody there.
3: No, I completely agree. And even if you can't confirm it in this particular case, everything from this point forward, it's a question of awareness whether it be through your media or through ours, you know, and I, ideally it would be through everyone. Everyone is giving the same message in terms of what it needs to look like before you begin this type of operation. And, you know, when we all lean back and said, well, that common sense is, yeah, guess what? Not everyone's dialed into common sense. And unfortunately, I'm kind of finding that out. I mean, there's no good rhyme or reason for why we should have Delta P related fatalities. When our video that we made with regard to Delta, we made that thing in the 90s. And everyone has seen that and looked at it. What part of that video did you miss before you began your operation in a hydroelectric facility or nuclear power plant facility or off a da- you know off a dam or e- or even off an offshore installation where we're doing an abandonment you guys know when we're doing abandonments we got to start cutting into that. And everybody says, oh, okay, yeah, coupon was cut there, and so it's been all vented. And we know damn well that there's a likelihood that maybe that wasn't done. So when we start to make our cut, we do it on the side to see what kind of, you know, what, what, what do we got? And sometimes you start cutting into it, and that thing is just like, you know, a tornado. It's The suction's in this now nah, there's there's no coupon cut up there somebody somebody did not vent that top side and so it's it's just a question of we're looking at a hazard and and we're looking at something that has caused fatalities that we've known about for decades i mean literally decades and so you know we, we start thinking and making these assumptions that everyone knows it because of all of the lessons learned and OSHA reached out to us and said, you know, perhaps there's a demographic that isn't aware of it and we need to go ahead and do it again. And they're absolutely right. And that's the operators.
1: I mean, that's, that's you, those, those words can't ring any more true. You know, a lot of these, uh, these accidents are usually because somebody failed to do a job topside. You know, it's not usually because something happened in the water. It's, a uh, failure to act topside. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, again, a lot of these, uh, accidents, you know, it's, uh, it's not just one party that's that's at fault. You know, I'm not speaking to this specific one, but, um, just saying in general, you know, it's, a uh, it's multiple, multiple reasons why these accidents happen, whether it's the dive dive supervisor that, uh, you know, probably should have not put a diver in the water because things weren't secure topside or, you know, it might've been just a combination of other things, you know?
3: I mean, this usually comes down to um, umbilical management in a a lot of instances, but it also comes down to um, just really taking the time to look at what are all of the potential hazards that are there, because we make a lot of assumptions, all right, this is closed, you said this is closed, we'll do that. You tell the diver where they need to go, but no one is thinking about, you know what, Um, just how far and how many feet if the diver goes from point A to point B, what's the payout from the umbilical standpoint that needs to, what does that need to look like? Sometimes that there's no thought given there at all. So whatever that diver pulls out through his movements is what gets paid out. And it's like, no, that can't be in the plant. You, 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 You have to have that sorted out. And so, you know, and, and, and looking at the five, these, these five that have happened, I've just scratched my head and said, you know, on, on many levels, and I, I'm not necessarily going to say all five, but I'm going to say at least three out of the five, umbilical management probably was something that was overlooked,
1: you know, and that's important, you know, the diver to manage his own own umbilical. And it's also important for the tender as well, because you have to be able to to uh have that feel for the umbilical to know whether the diver's taking slack or whether the slack is being taken by an external force, which is a water current flow or whatnot.
3: Or 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 know what what is the maximum amount because you know, when we dive offshore and we're diving off of uh, A DP vessel, we've got bums and sums, and we know exactly what the cutoff is for, um, you know, for for that diver making the excursion. And, you know, there's no, it's it's not like, well, whatever is demanded, we, we share. I mean, at some point, if it's figured out and you've done your bums and sums, then at some point you're not getting any more paid out to you, you know, and, and or you've, you've got all of these other things, whether it's, you know, um, golden, you, you know, you're, you're going through something that is going to mitigate the umbilical from being sucked in, you know, if, if you don't have that and you haven't given any thought to that, well, that's probably going to feed into you know why we have why why we got the problems that we do, and and again, like I said, at least three out of the five, we're we're looking at umbilical management issues.
1: Yeah, and I know in our uh, our first episode, we kind of touched on that a little bit. uh or the the first diver we had on the dive shack, uh, JC, he shared a story with us where he was doing a dive on a ship. He was only thirty feet away. I don't, I don't even think he was thirty feet away, right, Johnny? It was right. Yeah. he was, he, was like, he
2: wasn't that far.
1: No, and they paid out 200 you, feet of slacks.
3: You know and and, and yeah, guys whether that. it's wh- whether it's this episode or not, you know, we can have some discussion about that because I, I have some concerns too about you know, we have a lot of folks using DP vessels for and I don't want to get into the weeds on that for live boating. And, um, and, and shallow shallow use of DP vessels in shallow water for live boating um, operations. And you know, that, that is incredibly dangerous because usually if you're doing something shallow with a DP vessel for what would typically be live boating operations, you're gonna be in black water and there's going to be no visibility. And, you know, all of the, there's, there's all kinds of different hazards associated with that. So, you know, I mean, I I can sit here and wax on with you about a lot of different things that concern me, but I know the folks, the focus right now are these five DP related incidents and I've given you what I have. Um, but I'll certainly answer anything else that, um, any other questions that
1: you have. All right. Well, definitely, uh, we definitely want to thank you for, uh, for the statements you made regarding, uh, regarding the recent accident and also those other five, uh, five accidents that were related to, a to a DP. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, it's unfortunate and, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get some resolution, you know, pretty soon and be able to, uh, to learn from this incident. So that way, uh, no other family has to grieve just like the wood family. Uh,
3: I completely agree. I completely agree. You guys are doing a great job getting the word out to uh, the folks out in the field. I, I want that on record um, in, in the podcast. So, guys, go ahead and push this out to your um, mid and senior management within your your companies. Have them come on and listen to the podcast because this is all relevant information that they need to know. But it's, it's not what the divers need to know. It's not necessarily what senior management needs to know. It's what everyone needs to know that is a stakeholder with respect to uh, commercial diving operations. So I want to I make sure you get that out there.
1: Thanks a lot, Phil. It means a lot.
2: Yes, yes. thank you very much.
1: So, yeah. as far as uh, as far as ADCI, you've been with the organization for how long, Phil?
3: So I came on in November of two thousand and five. So I it's it's it it's a lot longer than it feels, but uh, yeah, I've, I've I've been there now, you know, almost sixteen years.
1: Sixteen years. Nice. Awesome. I think Johnny had some uh, had some questions for you too. <laughs> yep, have at it.
2: Oh, uh, just uh, kind of piggybacking off your Panama trip, I was just wondering what it was like to be the head of association that constantly has to um, deal with the ebbs and flows with uh, not only the divers' needs but like just ever changing industry. Like you have to set up committees, you have to get in contact with, um, you know, our our other chapters, you know, when you're planning these trips to the East Coast, Gulf Coast, and all that other stuff.
3: So there there are a couple of things that you need to think about. One, you need to look at the big picture. The big picture means that it's not about you as an executive director or somebody that maybe wants to consider as – you know somebody that's that that's an important player in the industry you start thinking you're an important player in the industry and you you become very counterproductive in terms of uh, affecting positive change so the the thing that you need to do for for me it's like i have to be an active listener so because i may If I fail to listen to something that is told to me, I may be looking at failing to listen to something that's going to be the complete undoing to the association, or uh, it's really going to hold us back from a regional standpoint in terms of looking like we're doing things in a safe manner. So you always need to just listen to everyone and, and don't get full of yourself, you know, you, you want to bring folks in, you want to first and foremost identify the, the parties and the entities that know more than you do, who should be sitting at the table. And then you bring those folks in and you listen to them and you may not like how they present the information to you. You, you, you just need to leave your ego off to the side and whatever hits You've made if somebody wants to criticize the association, just listen to it because it's probably, you know, more times than not, when somebody has a criticism, you know, it's probably a righteous criticism. It's, It's probably a real delta on the part of the association or at least perceived on the part of the association. And if you listen to them and you don't take it personally, you can fix it. And so the whole thing, like with Panama, going in and helping them to create their own uh, diving regulations, it, it you you can't come in. You have to understand, and you have to be very aware of um, what things look like in Panama. It's not like Tacoma, right. Washington, or you know, or Seattle, Washington, or or off the coast of California. It's, Different set of dynamics, you need to understand that and work with them within that particular region. You know, you don't have to compromise standards, but you need to be willing to listen, well, what's a good workaround that's a comparable level of safety, but it isn't exactly what we do here in the U.S. And these are kind of the things that you need to to look at um, and book but more, the the most important thing is, don't sit down at the table thinking that you're the be all, know it all. You know, I'm from the U.S. I'm a Gulf diver or an inland diver. We know what the hell we're doing. We've done it longer than anybody else. Man, you're really going to create a, a lot of. Um, I, I would say, you know, when you if you come in with a, a more of a humble attitude and you listen to them and you kind of discuss why it needs to look a certain way, you're going to be all right. Um, and, and I have to do that because I'm not the ADCI. Um, so I have to think in terms of whatever it is that I do, it's going to impact the ADCI. I can't have my own personal opinions about, uh, there's no way you don't tie that off or this and that and the other, you know, just because I'm used to it or we do it here in the US. Um, I I, I have to really step back from that and just have a a real 30,000 foot view and appreciation of the fact that, you know, you can do things differently, but achieve the same goal and the same ends safely.
2: Thanks, thank you. I have another question about, uh, actually the pandemic, you know, dealing with the pandemic, everybody does, has been dealing with it in their own way tough. Uh, I was just wondering how the ABCI adapted to the challenges it caused in regards to, um, travel, uh, crew size, job performance, and, um, the handling of curbing the spread. Like, how did you guys go about all that? <laughs> well, there was no, it,
3: as you know, there was no plan. There was no play. Just, just going with. for it. Exactly. And so, well, but but this, the smart play, the smart play was to, you know, for us having the MOU with IMCA was getting together with IMCA and saying, oh man, well, all right, what are we going to do? Well, obviously they, with them, they go to DMAC and they're physicians with DMAC. We have what's called a Physicians Diving Advisory Committee, which is a PDAC. Now, these guys are all um, a part of the UHMS, uh, you know, they're all UHMS-certified hyperbaric physicians, but they all have their own regional biases, so to speak. And so what we had to do was kind of come together as the two associations with what was being pumped up to us from our different medical sides, and then sort of looking and sharing and saying, all right, DMAC is saying this, our PDAC and our physicians are saying this, and just the sharing of that, <coughs> excuse me, and knowing what um, and there were a lot of things that were common, but there were some things that were different. And um, you know, we leaned a lot on CDC guidance and and whatever guidance came from the University of California, San Diego, which I got to tell you, UCSD I think was probably more than DMAC and any other entity was probably further ahead than anyone else in terms of coming up with the four different levels of how we should um, examine divers that we think may have been exposed to COVID. And what we did was we pushed that out big time. And, you know, IMCA had theirs from DMac that they pushed out to us. And it's just a question of, of sharing that, getting it out and knowing that, um, it could change a week to two weeks down the road and you responding to that and getting it out there. Um, because we, we had folks that were coming up to us and saying, what about this? How should we do this? And, you know, I mean, there's no playbook, so we, we have to completely lean on the physicians, but as soon as the physicians were able to get that information out, we pushed it out. And that's really the best that they can that we could do because under no circumstances should anyone that is non-medical personnel have anything to say with respect to um, medical issues? And, you know, before I go ahead and finish, I'll I'll tell you this. We developed our our guidance for diving operations, you know, during COVID-19. We developed that with the guidance from our physicians, but we also worked in conjunction with Oceaneering. So at all... Contractors, offshore contractors, oceanarian was the one that just said, you know, we gotta get our people out there because we have some critical tasks that need to be performed. They brought Van Meter together with Syria and Oliman and all of the who's who for uh diving docks here in the US, along with us. And then we sat down and we just kind of hammered through um what the guidance should be for what that
1: looked like. That's amazing. That was a quick to, yeah. I mean, to develop a plan, you know, that, that yeah. fast is amazing. Yeah,
3: it was, it was kind of scary because, you know, when we sat down and did all of this, this was in April. Well, everything got shut down in March. So, you know, you, you're, you're having people that are, um, they're, they're like, everything was very real time and you know, from from the point of where just face coverings were okay to the point of where no, guys, you you need to go ahead, and we need to change this guidance to read that um, bandanas are are not qualified right. face coverings, but we can't have guys wearing I-95 face masks on the back deck because they won't be able to breathe because it's too hot. So we've got to find out what is a good compromise. And one of the smart things is, is that, well, if you don't have a crew change over, say, a certain amount of days, then it's pretty safe to say that everybody's good. And then you can come up with a more liberal policy for face coverings, if, if any at all, you know, you, you've been out there, we've been all out there for 18, 10, seven, 10 days. No one has tested positive for COVID or shown any signs or whatever else, you know, what? we're probably good. But if we have any type of crew change, obviously that's going to compromise that. And so we looked at all of that stuff and, uh, and, but also, you know, looking more importantly at what the CDC has said, all right, this is good, this isn't good. So we, we modified things based upon the information that we were getting.
0: All right, let's take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, Ocean Eye Inc. Do you love being the center of attention? Is it always about you? You're damn right it is. You're a diver. At Ocean Eye Inc, their main focus is you, the professional working diver. You're hardworking and you deserve a company that's going to work just as hard for you. Call OceanEye at 610 621 5750 or go to their website at OceanEyeInc.com. And listen, whether your company is offshore or inland, they got what you need at prices that will help your bottom line. What's even better is that they won't sell you gear and then just forget all about you. They're not a one night stand, slap on the ass, I'll see you later, baby type of business. No, sir, they are going to take care of you for years. True and reliable end-to-end service. They can provide sales and maintenance They have an expert team that can service the gear you have in your dive locker, keeping it working and making money. Because what's more important than making that dough? Chris Gable, the owner of Ocean Eye, is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to commercial dive gear. For years, he's written the dive equipment maintenance column in Underwater Magazine. Need a custom umbilical? They'll build them to your specifications. Need a Gorski or a Kirby Morgan hat? Yeah, they got those too. They can even do the overhaul for you after you buy them. Have a complicated job and need a dive spread? Call Chris at Ocean Eye. He doesn't try to sell you on expensive cookie cutter configurations. He wants to build you what you need for your job site and make you money. From dry suits to gas rack systems, Ocean Eye can supply you with everything that you need to keep your company running and profitable. Take a look at their website over at OceanEyeInc.com for more information or give them a call at 610-621-5750. That's OceanEyeInc.com. Let's get back to the show. So the cooperation with IMCA,
1: that seems to be happening a little bit more and more on certain things. Can you speak on your relationship with IMCA?
3: Yeah. So I'll just tell you right now, in 2009, Jane Bugler, who, who Who used to be um, kind of the, I guess you would say the number two at IMCA. Um, So Jane and I, we we started developing we in dealing with the IOGP, which is the international oil and gas producers, um, the operators would put both IMCA and ADCI in probably the not best positions in these industry meetings which kind of forced us as trade associations to come together before these meetings and to talk about um, what our unified responses were going to be. And this was in 2009, at at a time when everyone assumed that IMCA and ADCI weren't talking at all. We had no relationship and and it was very adversarial. That's what we
1: all thought, yeah. Like you guys were like mortal enemies. (laughs) right and in
3: 2009 that started to change and every year since then it's gotten better and better there's been some proprietary issues because you know at the end of the day uh, you know i look some folks think that the british empire they they want to take over the world you know and it's it's like they they want to they want to be the be-all end-all for commercial diving and to say, well, just follow our D documents and that's it. And you don't have anything to worry about. Well, those D documents are great. And, and I'm there. there's a lot of things that are in there, but there's a lot of things in the consensus standards that are great that actually work better for our folks here in both the offshore and inland industries. But, in the end, you know, we're, we're looking at contractors that have a shared membership of both ADCI and IMCA that are damn tired of paying to have to, for two separate standards. It's like you guys need to kind of come together and figure this out because you're bleeding us. You know, we got guys having I need a certification a separate certification, this dive, this side of the world. And I need a certification to dive here at home if I'm going to do something inland. And it's like, at at some point you go, God it! it's all commercial diving. Can't we maybe come together and sort of shore things up? So, you know, associations aren't having to follow, our contractors aren't having to follow two different standards and dive schools are not having to order two different types of certifications for their graduates. All of these different things were being pressed upon both associations and and as well as us sitting down and kind of developing a greater level of trust. And so really by about 2000, So we're in 21 now. I'm going to say in 2018, we just kind of sat down. We were in Houston at one of their uh, North American section meetings. And they posed a question and said, you know, uh, what about a a, a memorandum of understanding and us working together more closely? And I was like, yeah, let's do this. I mean, and I'm giving you just kind of a broad brush sketch of kind of how it all happened. But that's really how it all happened. And uh, and then, of course, we have the policy letter with the Coast Guard that allows you to use either ADCI standards or IMCA-D um, documents as opposed to the... Uh, 46 CFR part 197 subpart B. So they came out with that policy letter last year and you know that was a big big step for for IMCA to be able to be recognized like that. So what we did was and and, and I, I don't want to take you too far into the weeds here, but what IMCA did was IMCA brought ADCI into The International Diving Regulators and Certifiers Forum, the IDRCF, which we've been trying, ADCI has been trying to be a part of for 15 years. The IDRCF uh, is composed of the DCBC, the Canadians, ADAS, the Australians, South Africans, the French, the Norwegians, and uh HSC UK as 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 well as EMCA and so that that's pretty much it guys i mean in terms of what we recognize as so they formed this forum and we've been trying to become a part of this forum for a long time i mean and it was only really through our efforts with EMCA did, were we able to get in, sit down, be a guest at those meetings, and then finally become a sitting member, the IDRCF? The kind of the, um, on the other side, ADCI with their, our partnership with the Coast Guard, we invited IMCA to come and sit at headquarters, U.S. Coast Guard in D.C., and the Coast Guard got to see that and say, "Oh, you guys are playing well together." Because Coast Guard leans on a lot of IMCA guidance with respect to DP operations when it comes to vessels. Not so much for diving, where where uh, that's who they lean to for diving. But we brought them into the table, and that's where we're at. I mean. You know, I, I probably speak to the two principal diving authorities for IMCA as well as the secretariat um, once a week. And, this, and then we have a formal meeting uh, once a quarter for, with, for, for the MOU. But once a week, I'm, and sometimes even more than that, depending on the issue, uh we'll we'll come together and meet just so to make sure we're all on the same page before we come into any meeting so that folks don't divide us as in terms of the two trade associations
1: nice so that's 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 kind of amazing like i said you know the impressions that we had back then were it was like a rival organization and you know this and that like ford and chevy you know but uh you know it's a Glad that you were able to shed some light that there is active cooperation. There's going to be even more cooperation, you know, in the future. So,
3: well, you know, so where you you obviously are aware of all of the, um, you know, the the renewables and all the wind farms and everything else that are coming up, that will be coming up on the Pacific coast, but are definitely coming up on the East Coast, and these are all euros. You know, you're talking about the prime for all of these projects are from Europe. And these guys only know EMCA. But I also, on the East Coast, I have to deal with union divers. And and the union is going to be involved in anything that is diving related off the coast, you know, off the eastern seaboard. And the folks in the UK and in Europe, they don't, they don't get that. So I, I, the association, not, not me, but the association's kind of wedged in the middle to sort of broker that, having IMCA go ahead and speak to the end users and the prime because they're typically IMCA members. And I speak to the unions, and then we try and bring everyone together so that, um, you know, we're not standing in the way of work for Americans here for things that are off our coasts, but we're also not, um, you know, putting IMCA in a, or or anyone else in a way in which now we've got folks on the Hill saying, no, we don't want these guys from, because we're, they're, they're now, everyone in Congress is concerned about US interests. And so they're going to always think about the right side of the realm and they're not going to think about any offshore vessel interests or offshore contractor and they don't they don't they don't care about that nor should they. They that their job is to worry about American interests and everything else. The the weird different dynamic that we're in from an ADCI standpoint is trying to kind of negotiate all of that to where we can just make it work for everyone Um, because as an international organization and because we deal with IMCA, you know, we can't just take that one side, U.S. side. We want to try and make it work so that folks in the U.S. are working as well as um, these wind farms coming into place because we have to have the the international folks, because we don't have the assets here in the U S to be able to go ahead and, uh, you know, to, to, to get these things put in the water. I mean, these lift boats and the size of the ask, we, we just don't have those. And well, that's what they do over
1: there. Nothing but wind farms, you know, that's their experience. That's their bread and butter. And, uh, exactly. nothing exactly. says more that this is a global economy than what you're talking about right now. I exactly. Mean, this is the future.
3: It is. And that, and that's why our relationship with IMCA is only going to grow. Um, I can tell you where we're at right now. Five years from now, it's going to look completely different. Will there be two separate associations? I think so. Because ADCI has been around since 1968. It has a very storied history and, um, and we also focus on inshore and inland, where IMCA has absolutely no interest in that at all. So we're always going to have two associations. But how we share money and how we work together and everything else, that remains to be seen. And I think it's going to look a hell of a lot different five years from now than it does presently.
1: So I know. Back when I first started diving, I always had the question, can I go overseas and go work with my ADCI card? A lot of the guys said, no, I need to have a certain cert or this cert or that cert. Um, In the future, is there any way that we'd be able to go straight from dive school and go dive in South Africa or England if we wanted to?
3: Yeah, and if you go to DIT right now, because we offer what's called an international endorsement, and it's a new certification that came out late 2018. Unfortunately, only DIT, uh, you know, Divers Institute of Technology in Seattle, is able to go ahead and issue it. Because, you know, I, I through IMCA, we had to have a dedicated program, and we did, and so they're piloting it right now. But if you go there as a student, you graduate with the international endorsement as um, an entry-level tender diver. You also graduate with DCBC uh, restricted surface-supplied certification. So you're good to go from there. But that certification that we offer we're gonna to start to expand that to some of the other schools because what what the the problem, you know, Armando, is, is that the schools here in the US don't teach SAT. And so for you to be recognized, for a training program to be recognized, there's a couple of things that they need to cover in their curriculum. They need to cover SAT theory. They also need to cover mixed gas and they need to cover it in a practical sense. And they also, with their deep dives, you know, whether it's on air, you, you, so you have to have a deep dive. You have to have some bottom time at dives that not a lot of the schools do because they don't have a deep dive uh, component. I'll use the ocean corp as an example of that. Now, you know, Subsequent to all of that, they do bring their guys to Galveston or to Kima to go ahead and do deep dives. But the, the international certification was really set up um, to be able to appease a deep dive requirement that IMCA has, that ADOs has, South Africa has, Canada has. And really what the EDTC has. So it's the European Diving Technology Committee, EDTC. It's, it's not very well known here in the U.S., but that's my job is to stay on top of that and figure out, all right, if we're going to create a new certification like the international endorsement, what should it be based upon? IMCA told us to base it upon the EDTC's standards, minimum training requirements for commercial divers, which we did. So it's it's not very well known right now, and that's because it's still pretty early. Um, it probably would be pushed out there a little farther than it is now if we didn't have COVID-19, but we're, we're working it.
1: And that's pretty exciting for uh, new divers, right? So the uh, ADCI here in the U.S., we have an annual convention called underwater interventions. Uh, Is there any word on when that's coming back? Toss you a little softball fluff question here. Or is it more involved in that?
3: (laughs) It actually is out of all of the questions.
1: (laughs) That's the one you didn't want me to ask about. uh. (laughs) No,
3: I I want you to ask whatever it is, because if we're going to go ahead and start promulgating transparency and honesty and everybody admitting when, you know, you got some shortcomings or whatever else, man, we, we, we better be the flag bearers for that. But, Mm. um, so what we're looking at right now, there's, there's a couple of things that we're looking at. Um, Workboat had approached us at, to partner with us in conjunction with the American Salvage Association to do kind of a three uh, organization uh, show. And so it would all be under the umbrella of Workboat, which is in New Orleans, usually in the, sometimes in the November, December time period. And they wanted us to have a portion of the floor that would be underwater intervention, but that if you bought the ticket, you could just go to underwater intervention and Workboat. So right now, we're looking at that. Not for 2021, obviously, um, but looking at it for a possibly late 2022 and also tying in the American Salvage Association's annual meeting with that. So we're we're looking at that. um, But the last thing that we want to do, guys, is to put something out there that... um, Fails to meet what our strategic plan states. And we want something that has some good content. So when your company pays for you to go to UI uh, 2022 or whatever year it is, and so we kick it off, that you come back and you've really got some deliverables for the folks within your company. It's not just, Yeah, I went down there, I walked the exhibits, I drank a lot, I had some good food, and now I'm home. But what did you bring back from that show that's going to make us a better company? Because it cost me six or however many thousands of dollars to send your ass there. What are you (laughs) going to do? What are you bringing back on our dime? And so we really had to kind of take a pause, step back and look at what is UI 2.0 going to look like to, to address that issue because that was the big delta with us. It wasn't so much that people didn't have marketing dollars and trade shows are going yeah, oh, okay, yes, trade shows as a whole are starting to decline, but if you've got good content and you have deliverables and takeaways, people will pay for that, whether it's virtual, whether it's in person, whether it's a combination of the two. And that's the step we're trying to figure out right now.
1: Nice. And we're definitely uh, looking forward to getting more information, you know, on uh, when that's going to happen. And I know a lot of us, uh, you know, divers are interested in, uh, in that and interested in, you know, what kind of panels and discussions that there's going to be, because I mean, divers love to talk, you know, they call it, call it like the sewing circle or whatnot, but you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of the problems are solved through, you know, talking to other people in different areas of the world or different areas of the country.
3: Well, what I want also to get out to, to, to folks is to that the ADCI is not, hasn't done a very good job of reaching out to all demographics, specifically the folks out in the field, the supervisors and the divers. That's a huge delta on the part of ours. And 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 we've had several board discussions about that. What can we do to better represent that demographic of divers and supervisors or, or LSTs, just anyone that's actually out in the field? Because our message and everything that we do speaks to office-bound folks, you know, management, senior management, ownership, and, and of course, end users. Nothing about the folks that actually do the work itself. And so I think, you know, what, what we need to do is to make sure that our message gets out to everyone. And then we figure out if it isn't getting to everyone, we need to figure out why, you know? And obviously in this case, you know, we start looking at, all right, ADCI TV and the magazine and everything else, which is hella limited in terms of the outreach. What your guys are dialed into are Instagram, you know, Twitter, They may do Facebook, but most, you know, like my kids, man, it's all about Instagram. Everything is very immediate. And we have not done a good job in dialing into that to be able to deal with our field personnel and answering whatever questions that they might have, but also more than anything else, addressing the misinformation that's going on, not just about ABCI, but are about um, different requirements, industry, uh, you know, what's viewed as industry best practice. There's a lot of misinformation about that. There's a lot of misinformation with respect to Kirby Morgan or with respect to uh, regulators. And we can help out with that as an association by coming on, you asking those questions And then you pushing that information out out to the folks. Um, But I would like to see us collaborate more so that we not only utilize your methods of getting that information out, but we also can take your information and utilize our methods and push that out. So uh, it's just a question of getting the word out.
1: Yeah, and, and we're definitely very open to uh, working with ADCI because uh, to tell you the truth, um, I'm going to speak plainly. A lot of the divers down on the ground, they, they don't feel that ADCI listens to them or even really cares about them. So, uh, you know, uh, like I said, yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get some more information out and, uh, and kind of uh, get the common, common, common diver down on the ground to really care a little bit more about a uh, what you guys are doing you know you work behind the scenes a lot so we don't see a lot you know but uh i think this is a good vehicle to kind of get some of the word out i
3: agree with you and i don't blame those guys at all look when i was out in the field i didn't i didn't even know what adci was i knew I, i knew i had a card but i didn't really pay any attention too much attention to who uh issued it I just figured, all right, well, this is my ticket. I needed to have it to be able to go out on a job or to work for someone. And I've got to think that that's about 95% of the folks that are out in the field. So, you know, what if they actually knew what was behind that? And they were a little bit more educated in terms of what's happening behind the scenes on their behalf or, um why the card looks a certain way, or why the card isn't recognized. These are all things that, you know, you can bring me on to ask those, um, those critical questions, you know, and, and, I'm, and I should be able to answer those critical questions.
1: Nice. And I know one of the critical questions that I've got right now, since we got you on, um, yeah. is uh, the difference between an ADCI company and a non-ADCI company. So the diver comes out of school with an ADCI card, but they don't necessarily work for an ADCI company. Um, again, let's, let's talk about the differences there. I've been through an ADCI audit with an engineering company that I used to work with, and it was pretty intensive yeah
3: so here's here's the thing i want to be really careful too because i've got i know right offhand a contractor that is not an adci member company that is a solid solid contractor they follow all kinds of safe guidelines and everything else and so not all uh non-adci member companies would I even begin to assume are unsafe, you know?
1: Right. And I've worked for a lot of companies that weren't, that were great companies. Yes.
3: Yeah. And, and some of them have these contracts and this bread and butter work. Let's just say that you're uh, a, an ADC, a, a non-ADCI member company, but you have a Navy contract. And, you know, you, once you get that Navy contract, unless you really screw the pooch, you've got that thing forever. And that's your bread and butter work. You're you're fat and happy. You're good to go, you know. And so uh, now you start looking at uh, you start looking at companies. You, you you can't just look at companies, ADCI, non ADCI, and and make this assumption that one is safe and one isn't. What I would tell you. About The difference is between the two is an ADCI member company has to go through that third-party auditing process. And so if nothing else, the end user, the client, and the folks that work within the company know that someone else came through and looked at the documentation, the maintenance and equipment logs, all of, you know, all of the testing, yeah, uh, the personnel, the, the operational procedures and everything else, and, um, you know, all of your safety and management systems. And somebody came and looked at that and was able to tell you whether or not it had You know, it it met the standard. What is recognized from an industry standpoint, or it didn't, um, or it just was flat out non-existent. And so, you know, that's that's where the the audit comes in. That's where being an ADCI, and I'll even go so far as the ADCI and IMCA member, um, because it's no different. You know, and, and one of the things that came out of our MOU with IMCA and, and having our relationship is, is that IMCA for a long time would have their audits and they would be desktop audits only. They would not have what's, what we require and uh, they wouldn't have a dive side audit. So when we've always felt that that was the most important part. You can put anything down on paper. You can tell me this guy's got this certification, this and that, and the other. I can look at a guy's profile in in an office and see that he has every every certification in the world. Guess what? I put that guy in the water. He's a nightmare. I get him out. And I can put somebody in there that has a third of the paperwork that he has, and that individual is going to knock it out completely. And, and that's part of the problem that we have, we talk about um, certification versus actual competency. And, you know, I mean, competency is a huge word that the Brits and folks internationally love to use. And, and I get it. And, and it makes a lot of sense because it speaks beyond just what certifications you have. Um, but I, I, I really do think that when you're an ADCI company, and you or you apply for it, and you go through that process and you go through the audit. Um, it gives a better sense of uh, assurance to the client and the end user. And I would like to thank to everyone within the company that you know we we are making this a priority, so much so that you know, we're going ahead and having these different organizations or these different entities, uh, go ahead and audit us.
1: Yeah. And, and, and again, it's really important that these companies that are, you know, that are getting audited that they have their ducks in a row before. Right. I mean, what's the, the, the process is you've got the audit, you've got to have your paperwork and, uh, you also have to have your diverse search laid out and everything. Um, just kind of want to describe a little bit more of what, what you do physically. Yeah.
3: So what we do is if, let's just say somebody and I'll, I'll use a new company, which isn't any different than an existing company that hasn't been audited that needs to go through the audit initiative. But the first thing is, is that we have a list of advanced submittals that you have to provide one of which is your safe practices and operations manual we also want a list of your equipment maintenance log so we can see what types of equipment you have you know i mean if you're a company like oceaneering i don't need everything or you could just maybe send me your uh, a spreadsheet of everything and then I also need to know who your diving personnel are and what types of certifications they are. Those, All of that stuff is done electronically. So we basically give you the audit report and you self-populate that to begin with. You submit that to us and then we're able to look that over and kind of say, Get an idea of what we're dealing with from a company profile standpoint. And then what we'll do is we'll assign a designated auditor to go ahead and go through that. If there are deficiencies within any of the documentation, we'll deal with that electronically so that auditors don't have to fly to Dubai or wherever else. To point that out. That's why we asked for all the electronic submittals. So we run through that first. Once we've gotten to that point, we'll go ahead and schedule the audit. And, you know, we will have an agreement with the uh, company. Are they good with the auditor? Because we want to make sure that that auditor wasn't someone that maybe they worked fired. For them. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. We also, the the other piece too that I want to stress is, is that all of our auditors have to go through what's called an auditor workshop. So we're not going to just say, hey, you know, this guy worked for Chevron for several years. He was a diver. We know he did audits for Chevron. Come on aboard. You're good to go. I need you to do an audit there. No. We need them to understand because what we didn't want was what we were hearing from a lot of different uh, auditors internationally. So you had EMCA audit- auditors that came into the audit process with their own bias about what's the proper way to set this up or what should that piece of equipment look like, completely devoid or or different from what was on the sheet music that IMCA provided them. So we provide our auditors with sheet music, which is our audit report. And anything outside of that, we don't care about. I don't want you putting that in there. Don't tell them, well, you know, if you're working for the Army Corps engineers, I don't want to hear about that. If it's not in the audit report, that if it's not in the audit report, then I don't want to hear about it. And that was the big problem with a lot of the IMCA audits is is that guys were getting off the sheet music. So when we developed all of this in 2016, we came up with the workshop to really stress the fact that um, this is, you know, this is not... For for pay, you, you know, the, you're you're here to help us accomplish the mission on behalf of ADCI. Yeah, you're going to get paid, but you're going to follow what's in the audit report, which is based upon the consensus standards, and that's it. And that all communication between the auditor and the uh, the the company has to be copied to the office so that that company doesn't think that um, that there's any chance that that auditor can go rogue, start stretching things out, start, you know, kind of coming up with their own rules of the game. That was really something that we were adamant on that we had to kind of learn the hard way with because some firms charge an exorbitant amount amount for a day rate for an auditor and some guys are you know they're they're independent and they say okay well this is what we got and that's reasonable so we had to set a maximum amounts for uh, day rates for our auditors maximum amounts for hourly rates for our auditors so we wouldn't run into the same crap that we were seeing that takes place out in
0: the field. Right.
1: So that's, uh, that's good to know. And the reason why I'm asking about this stuff is because we may have a uh, small companies that are listening in that may, uh, may be curious about the process of, uh, being audited and being an ADCI company. So, um, again, well, we're like gonna, I said, that's why we're bringing it up.
3: Yeah. So, so whoever's listening that owns a dog company that want, that's maybe thinking about it. A couple of things you need to think about is, go through the process, get, first thing you should do is go to our website and download that diving contractor audit report. And then just kind of look at it and do your own gap analysis between, you know, what's in that audit report, which is required for the, you know, for ADCI membership and what it is that you have. And just so that, you know, kind of where the gaps are that that's a great safe first step. And then if you think, you know what, we're good. We got all of this. Then go ahead and submit your application, but whatever the case is, we'll work with you and we'll discuss it and we'll let you know ahead of time if we think you're ready or or not because if you're if not, then we don't want you spending your money and going down a road in which then eventually we're gonna to have to tell you yeah no we you, you, you still need to do this but you're you know four or five six thousand dollars you you've paid through this process when you didn't need to do that we probably could have identified that you know at the outset so the the best thing is download that audit report do the gap analysis, and then go online, email me, and ask me some questions about, all right, what do you think I need to do? Because I do that a lot. I'll, I'll say, well, first thing you need to do is, you know, you need to think about your references. You know, you got to have a, a client, an end user as at least one. If you, ideally, if you had more than one, that's great. Maybe have... Uh, equipment vendor is another one. Um, So little things like that to help them to correctly identify the references that they need to provide. But more importantly, just reach out to us. We'll tell you how to do it. We'll work with you through every step of the process. Um, There's nothing in it for us to turn you away, but there's, you know, there's nothing in it for us to kind of guide you down a path that you're not really ready for. So, you know, we're, we're, we're here to help you make that determination.
1: Right. And getting that, uh, ADCI stamp of approval does help in a, in a lot of ways, you know, especially when you're going out for jobs and putting bids out and everything, you know, and you also get a seat at the table when you guys have to vote on stuff, right?
3: So if you're a ADCI member company, absolutely. You are a voting member. If you're an associate member, you're a voting member. Associate member school, you're a voting member. Um, yes. Now you have a seat at the table, um, and you know that's that that that's kind of how that works.
1: Nice. So let's let's uh, let's just end the show on a little bit about about you. Um, do you have any uh, stories or anything that you'd like to share with us about your uh, diving days? Now that you're uh, right in the seat. <laughs>
2: Well, um, I,
3: I'll just go to say, I, I don't, I don't have any one particular story that I want to share, or probably one that I'm not really proud of. Um, <laughs> Those are the best. A, yeah, <laughs> there are a lot. I can tell you right now, it's 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 funny because um, my first ever working da- my dive my first ever dive job um i it was uh you know in the mud hole in louisiana and it was in lafitte and you know what they had to do was to go ahead and uh, uncover a trunk line that was about 16 feet down um and uh, obviously there's no water supply so this this was Coming offshore through intercoastal waterways and inland itself in Lafitte, and so you know you had to, you've got to bring in everything because nothing's there, and uh, you know I'm coming from uh, DIT from Seattle. I've never been to Louisiana before. Uh, I'm You're a California you know, native.
1: That's the opposite. Cal-
3: right. I'm a California guy. I'm living with my boss, Mike Brown, who was the vice president of operations for Epic Divers and Marine. And anybody that's on listening to this podcast that knows Mike knows that he was not the most gentle of souls. So Mike, Mike was kind of a hard ass, but... Um, just the best guy, but he'll look out for you. Best guy in the world to ever work for. So um, I'm living at Mike's house because this is about my second day ever in this part of the world. And he goes, "All right, well, you can stay in this shack here on his property." He sends me out. I go out to this job. I don't know anything in dive school. They don't teach you how to prime the jet pump. They don't teach this. I, I, I could spend a whole podcast on what we don't learn. (laughs) You
1: (laughs) and every other diver, right? Yeah,
3: (laughs) exactly, exactly. So anyway, I'm getting yelled at and the company man's going, this guy, what, what? I'm I'm about ready to get run off because I don't know how to do it goddamn thing and I'm like thinking to myself well wait a minute man I paid all this money for dive school at that time it was a whole lot of money shit if only dive school costs what it uh, does now what it did then but bottom line is is that I'm down there I'm I, I get a moment and I'm going ahead and I'm relieving myself and then I my head goes down and there is the largest snake I've ever seen <laughs> in my life go across my boots while I'm down there hanging a wire. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know whether or not I'm really built for, for all of this, but, but that was my first introduction to, uh, to the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, and strangely enough, one of the divers that was was there is the currently the the current president of the ADCI, Bo Ristick. Bo was out on that job with me. And and we just kind of laugh about that, even to this date. Just about how, you know, look where we're at now in 2021 um, versus, you know, (laughs) the late
1: 90s. So. And that is amazing. You know, the amount of people that, that, uh, that a lot of you guys have worked with that are now, you know, still in the trade and, and, uh, they're not diving anymore, but they're still involved in, uh, kind of, kind of doing it. You know, I, I just, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah we're we're going to be speaking with a uh, less joiner pretty soon. So, you know, that's another, another great guy,
3: a very great guy. And, uh, you know, guys, if you need anything, um and, and obviously there's gonna be reason uh for me, me maybe to come on again, but I I like I love what you're doing and keep it up and uh let's let's take this thing farther and faster so we can get people up to speed on what it is that they need to be doing and, and how to do it right. Um and just also, like I said, more than anything else let's try and put a real dent in some of the misinformation that's Mm
1: -hmm. out there. All right. Yep. That's a, that's the plan, you know, didn't start off that way, but you know, we kind of see how important this is now. Right, Johnny. All right. Well, uh, we we want to thank you. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. Uh, You know, it's a really great episode. Thank you for your continued service as well.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I know that's that's kind of my that's not my day job, but that's my weekend job. And, uh, you know, I need to do it. I I, just just to let you know, for years, years, I bagged on public safety divers and military divers, and I had an opportunity in 2016 to maybe um, put my money where my mouth is and and say, all right, well, if it's so bad with all of what you know how how are you going to change it so that's why i chose to do what i'm doing with with the guard and their dive unit because basically all we do is um well i'm in charge of both boats and dive but with respect to the dive unit you know Ours is all about recoveries. We're not rescuing anyone when we go out. We're, do, we're doing DBs, recovery, or, or evidence recovery. But sometimes we'll have to do, as part of evidence recovery, a small salvage operation like bringing up a vehicle and everything else. And I want to make sure that folks understand what's the proper size lift bag, what's the proper size rigging, what should that rigging look like? And, and rigging in many ways is a consumable because if you're keeping it out in the sun and this and that and the other, or paying attention to where you're purchasing your shackles, all of these different things I bring to, uh, you know, to, to my unit and to try and share with public safety divers, as a way to say, all right, you know what, instead of thinking, all right, yeah, I'm, this commer- I'm in commercial diving. I know more than you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. As opposed to that, you know, I, I decided to involve myself with the guard and then also Kirby Morgan and Dive Lab because they also work very closely with public safety divers to just get these guys to do it in a safer way.
1: Mm-hmm. So exactly right on. Well, thanks again. And, uh, thanks for the, uh, next episode idea, the public safety diver episode.
3: Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let me know. I got, that'd be great. I got plenty. Yes. To, Perfect. I got plenty, yeah. to wax on about that. <laughs> plenty to wax on about that. And since you guys also both know Lamar, Lamar's my boy, man. If you ask, if you ask him about, uh, Mike Brown, Mad Dog, he'll have a a lot to say because he's from that generation of divers. He's also worked for Mad Con and Bruce Trader. But uh, you know, I'm I'm envious of you guys being in that part of the world. I wish I was because it's hotter than shit here and it's very <laughs> muggy and I got
2: bugs up <laughs> the ass.
1: So. Oh boy, yeah. If I got family in yeah. Texas, not that part. They're north, so. But yeah, great episode, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. This is LB Diver, out. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Make sure you like and follow on our social media pages, on Instagram and Facebook. Please share this podcast with your friends or anyone interested in commercial diving. The only way that uh, we can make this successful is if we do get a lot of people that are listening. We get more listeners. We get more sponsors, and that means more free stuff for you guys. That's right, we are hooking up all of our diver brothers and sisters in the trade. And uh, if you keep sharing and liking, we're able to do that a lot more. Our Instagram is at Bottom Dwellers DS. Our Facebook is Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. And you can always like and follow me at LB Diver on both. The Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack is available on all podcast platforms Apple, Spotify anchor we also have it streaming on our website at thebottomdwellers.com so keep listening keep it safe keep it salty this is lb diver out